0: Have you ever got a concussion from curling?
1: (laughs) Actually, though, I, I smashed my knee by curling. What? Well, you know, curling, you do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And you, you slide, and your knee sort of touches the ice. Usually, I mean, you slide, and then my knee always just kind of bumps the ice. Right. If you do that over and over and over and over and over again, you wake up the next day with a big
0: bruise on your knee. So. But but you've never you've never concussed yourself curling. I've never concussed myself doing anything. I, well, that, that's good. I feel like that might be like the quintessential Canadian injury. <laughs> yeah. concu- concussed while curling. It could be. You know, like the only thing that would be <laughs> higher up there is if you did it while smoking a Craven A. <laughs> drinking a double-double. <laughs> and having a Timbit. And and t- t- yeah, exactly. Concussed. <laughs> oh, man. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 212 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, matinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Today's show, as we uh, get ready to wrap up the year, is uh, something of a shameful contradiction. You see, on the one hand... My guest today is a dear friend. He's someone who I've been through ups and downs with over 10 years. At one time, he was a neighbor. He's now a constant drinking and concert going companion and all around good guy. On this podcast, though, he's, well, someone I've managed to keep on the bench for way too long to put a point on this. His last appearance on a full episode of the show was back when Barack Obama was still in office during his first term so today i end the contradiction and try to get the show flying right where my friends are concerned and uh you know stick to the old uh, christmas tradition of bringing the friends uh, home for the holidays um my, my guest today is the grand poobah behind the shorts that are not pants Festival, uh, one-time writer at uh, Toronto Screenshots, and just all-around wonderful man, James McNally is here. How are you, James McNally? I'm good. You're trying to butter me up after seven this, years. This whole show of <laughs> atonement. Okay, you know, it's just it's, it's 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 like Festivus. It's
1: the airing of grievances. I like the the, the film we're talking about. Bear some resemblance to, in an ironic fashion to me being on the show. (laughs) (laughs) We will
0: get into that. Don't you worry. On episode 212, we will be discussing The Favourite. We'll be turning the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about James. This is Know Your Enemy. So James' first appearance and only appearance on a full episode was episode 46, Double Digits. That's right. We talked about Jay Edgar and that show, uh, you know, it was, it was as much fun as you could imagine. Uh, but we learned on that episode that the first film James ever saw in a theater was 2001 A Space Odyssey. The last film he'd watched at the time was a documentary called Waiting for Superman. The worst film he'd ever seen was something called All the Little Animals. The unseen classic or essential was Raging Bull. You've seen it since. No. What? No. <laughs> seven years. Oh, I my God. It's still in um, my uh, yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> Never seen Raging Bull. Uh, and the film he wished he'd made was Rushmore. So now, at long last, seven years later, it's time for round two. Mr. McNally, what is the film you dig, but nobody else does? Uh, I think it's still got to be
1: Ishtar. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, they released it a little while ago, and a bunch of people went and saw it. I still think I like it. And other people don't okay. like it.
0: I know a lot. Of, like it's it's a funny film to watch now because, I mean, growing up, I always knew that it was this, this synonymous movie in the '80s with a flop. It kind of got mentioned in the same vein as like Howard the Duck, yeah, right. Um, as as this just gigantic turkey of a movie, and uh, it was directed by Elaine May, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and st- I. I, I i did finally see it in between your last appearance and now i saw it a few years ago uh for the first time and i mean it's not great but i i did I looked at it i was like this was a turkey this was the kind of thing that was like a cautionary tale in the same vein as as like Waterworld and, yeah. and those kinds of movies
1: it was the first movie that i recall that they ever talked about uh, like film critics and the press, mainstream press talked about budget and you're like, before that, people didn't really care what a film cost. Yeah. Um, we didn't, we weren't obsessed with how much it made. We just usually read the review if it was a good film or not and this was the first film that I remember hearing about like, oh, it's so over budget, you know, they're spending all this money and it's never going to make back like what it cost and why I still kind of feel to this day like who cares? I'm a person that goes to watch the movie because I like the story. I don't don't care that much if it makes its money or what it costs. I think it's weird that we've become this these armchair quarterbacks of like, we're not studio heads, but we sort of think we are.
0: Yeah. And and so it's a movie like you, like you genuinely laugh at it. There's parts of it you love. There's yeah, it's, like, what do you love about um, that? It's, it's, it's fine. I don't, I don't hate it. No, I mean, no, it's
1: just for, it's Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty and they're both cast against hype. So it's, I don't know. It's just very funny seeing Dustin Hoffman trying to play like this romantic, you know, lead. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and Warren Beatty's kind of this clueless, you know, moron kind of guy and uh, I don't know I think they had fun with it I mean there, Isabella Johnny's in it they're beautiful and um, I mean the, Charles Grodin is in it like it's right. got a lot of really good uh,
0: casting and that song they sing is pretty catchy oh
1: god it's like it's a whole f- sort of fake musical in some ways it's uh, the songs are are excellent so I don't know uh, it was part of a, an Elaine Bay retrospective I think at TIFF recently yeah, yeah. and maybe more people saw it um that would have stayed away from it before so maybe in general more people like it but i still think it gets a kind of gets
0: unfairly it's yeah like you said it's a strange kind of cautionary tale it's it's this it's this you know it's, so. it's like a one-word whisper it's it's like that, that that film that shall not be named yeah i mean if you're strange. a hollywood
1: executive maybe but i mean i I'm just a guy that goes to the movies to be entertained, and yeah. I, I found it very entertaining. Yeah, and, mean, that, and
0: the funny thing is, like now here we are, thirty some odd years later, and it's not—it's not even a cautionary tale anymore. It's a—it's a movie that a lot of people don't even really know what it is. You yeah, know, you know what I'm saying? It's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's, within the industry, it's still a curse word. Mm-hmm. But you ask the average twenty something year old moviegoer, yeah. what do you think about Ishtar? They probably never even heard of it. Yeah. So, but uh, but you're right. I do know, like, I know a lot of people who don't like it, but I know a lot of people who are coming around. But uh, it's a very good answer. What is the uh, what's the other side of this equation? What's the film that everybody else seems to really dig that you just can't get
1: behind? Well, I, I couldn't even just pick one, but I would <laughs> I would. It's not that I'm a curmudgeon, but I, I would say like I am not a superhero movie fan really at yeah. all. So when people talk about the transformers or the avengers or the latest spider-man reboot i couldn't care less like it's it's not that they are bad movies they're just not movies that i pay attention to and i guess half the time i feel like i'm out of the loop the only time i don't is if we're talking about maybe festival movies but yeah a lot of the year i don't go to those uh, I, I don't go to the big blockbusters and i'd say 90 percent of them now are superhero films so.
0: well i mean they're all they're they're properties, right? Like it's yeah. not even that they're superheroes or that they're they're in, they're anything. But they're all all the, the the blockbusters now. They're all properties of some sort, whether they're yeah. a Star Wars film or uh, you know a sequel to something or a remake of something or you know a Harry Potter film or whatever. They're all they're branding. You know, mm-hmm. like you can change in the actors in and out. You can change in the direction in and out. Yeah. Um. But you're still people are going to see. You know the 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 name at the bottom right. of the of the poster, not even the name at the top anymore. And I don't um, even really hate them. I just haven't seen them, and I don't
1: have any interest in seeing them. So it's it's not a fair answer to your question. But. Well,
0: I guess my like my my follow up question then is: Is it something about franchises that turns you off? Like, do you think like I think about the scene in? Clouds of Sills Maria where they're having they go to see that that silly 3D movie with Chloe Grace Moretz where yeah. she's playing a superhero and then um, Kristen Stewart and Juliette Binoche have that conversation in the bar and she challenges her and she says you know if these women weren't wearing capes and weren't wearing silly wigs on a spaceship if they were having these conversations in a union shop or, or something like that you would be all over it so do you think there's something off-putting about the glossiness of them, or the marketing of these movies, that really keeps you away. That sounds like that you're saying that if these had scripts
1: that were, you know, just as as uh, as literate as other films. But well, they no, don't. but wait a yeah. second,
0: wait a second. See, that's the thing. You don't know that because you haven't seen them. So they okay. may have scripts that are as literate as anything else. They just happen to have them with superheroes. Well, I haven't seen. And, and but what uh, I'm saying is, all of them. There's not even yeah. all of them, but there's something about. The making of them, or their place in the landscape, or the marketing of them—that you find off-putting.
1: I find that the the storytelling is just kind of lazy. I think, uh, and I've you know, even people who like them will tell me, um, "Oh, it's just a set piece after set piece after a set piece." Okay. It's, um, you know, or they're really you know digging into his background and his origin story, and then I'll see them and I'll be like, oh, "That's not very deep." Like, I feel like the storytelling is kind of aimed at um, adolescence. You know, mm-hmm. there's not a real depth to it and then of course the whole thing is fantasy anyway so you, you get to a point where if you care about a character and you're like well this guy's a guy that runs around wearing tights you know like it's it's hard for me to yeah, take that. but again series. with the
0: Sils maria thing if it was a guy running around who just happened to be a mailman in 1974 belfast yeah but you, it's because we care. live
1: we live in that world like yeah. i don't you know it's it, i i see the kind of the need for escapism sometimes but yeah. i think we've made it our entire you know, the, I'd say like whatever huge percentage of the movie uh, industry is is about
0: telling these kind of escapist stories. Yeah, uh, I would. It's it's funny because one of these days I will. I think I will kind of like dig into this and I'd like record a conversation with somebody like you mm-hmm. who's not into them. And, and and don't get me wrong, like I enjoy them, but I I approach them with a certain expectation and a certain um, you know tamped down uh, desire. Yeah. as opposed to like going to see a movie like we're going to talk about today mm-hmm. or the movie that on the next show will end up being my number one of the year um i just i'm fascinated by this conversation because you're not the first person who has who sat in front of me and said oh i can't get behind these and i can't get on board with these you know mike lane the guest on my last show uh was about to go down that road as well before he picked something else so i just it's a it's a conversation i'm I'm anxious to have one Mm. these days but Mm -hmm. i do i do get it um moving right along what is the last film to make you cry since i know it's not a big budget movie uh it was actually
1: a short film uh, so my festival just happened three weeks ago and we showed a short film called souls of totality which okay. um stars tatiana maslany mm. and tom cullen mm. who's her real life uh, boyfriend and it's uh it's a story about it was filmed during the solar eclipse last summer and it's kind of a story about these two people who are in a cult that's kind of a doomsday cult mm-hmm. and uh the eclipse it, they're they're heading for a big event that they're going they're supposed to participate in and um, but they're in love and they don't know what to do like because it's uh, it's kind of a suicide cult and um, they're being asked to to, to basically uh, transition to the next plane or whatever and and they're they're struggling with that and what what about it really did you
0: find so affecting because i haven't seen it yet they shot
1: the climax of the the film during the actual eclipse so they had one shot to get this right it's uh it's an incredible achievement just from a technical perspective but uh emotionally she uh tatiana maslani's character is is running back to this uh this ranch where they're all at to try to find her, her her boyfriend and um the sun blots out it goes dark and she's running and she's kind of Thinking she might be too late, you know that he might be gone, and uh, and just well, I'm gonna spoil the whole movie. Sorry, for, it's just um, Basically, she finds him just as the sun
0: comes oh, out, and okay. it, it
1: just hits with this emotional force. It's it's beautiful. It's really right. well done. Do you uh, you, do you cry at films a bit. I cry a lot more now <laughs> than, than I used to. i I've, I've had a. Had a year, you know what yeah, i yeah, And yeah. so I think things hit me a little bit more. I, I don't cry... Um, I never cry at sad movies. Right. I cry when things make me happy. Like, yeah. it's a it's a kind of a weird... Um, you know, life is sad. You kind of just have to put up with that. But when something hopeful happens, when something kind of generous and unexpected happens, that's what gets me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I hear that in both respects in terms of, like, when... When your own story kind of takes a turn, you, things are going to hit you in, a, in ways that you didn't expect, mm-hmm. um, and how sometimes it's it's more the uplift than it is the oh, yeah. you, you know it, it's it's the it's the altruism or it's the selflessness mm-hmm. or the hope it's, sometimes that yeah. really gets you more than a lot of these other um, you know negative or or, or sad or oh or yeah we live
1: in a kind of a negative
0: yeah world these yeah days, so. so uh mr mcnally in the movie of your life who
1: plays you um i had fun thinking about this <laughs> neil patrick harris
0: <laughs> i know that, maybe okay. that
1: sounds weird to you but he looks ex- sort of exactly like i looked like when i was a 14 year old okay kid. so okay. Uh, yeah and i like him i think he's 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 smart he's funny he's um uh, snappy dresser he's got all that going for him so yeah i, I would be i'd be
0: very pleased Please, but uh, now are we talking like the the current era of um, Neil Patrick Harris are we talking like Doogie Howser era <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris That's that's the funny thing I, I love how we're we're now in like the second act of some of these like eighty and nineties stars Yeah I careers. like that he
1: he sort of kept his uh, his dignity like he he he's a, he sort of kept a sense of humor about that part of the period of his life Yeah uh, but I'd say like when I saw Doogie Howser um, when did that actually? What was that on? Late eighties. So I was so already, you know, a young adult. But I sort of was reminded of myself, like at that age, it was sort of a dorky, painful <laughs> teenager. And um, and he still has a little bit of that, but he's. He's clever about it too. So, yeah, yeah. I think he's he's dealt with it well.
0: It's it's funny though. We're we're kind of now we're like kind of taking another turn with him. I kind of feel like his his notoriety has actually dimmed a little bit since he's uh, he's not he's not doing anything on Broadway right now. I don't think he doesn't have a show anymore. Uh, he, it's like it's like he's like laying in wait for like the next big thing maybe when he starts to have some gray hairs or something he'll maybe i guess yeah uh, i would see that movie you know <laughs> it's neil patrick harris and the james mcnelly story <laughs> i would absolutely see that movie uh last but not least for now uh what are you watching next
1: so we've been talking a lot about end of year lists and um i have been awful at getting out to the theater, the cinema this year and uh, there's a bunch of stuff that i want to see some of it is on netflix so definitely the, the Coen brothers Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I yeah. haven't seen yet. I haven't okay. seen, I haven't even seen annihilation, which came out oh, months yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course Roma Now Roma, I've been told you got to see it on a big screen. So that would be my first priority is probably to see that.
0: Yeah. Roma was our last episode of this show. Thanks mm. for listening. Uh, <laughs> and I said it then and I'll say it again. Now I, I am a believer if anybody can see it on a big screen, um, this is going to sound like one of the most pretentious things I've ever said, not so much to see it, but to hear it because it's got a really unique sound design that puts you in a very central place in the movie. Um, I I like, as we're getting into award season and it's picking up a lot of momentum, that it's this movie that everybody has accessible. Um, So I I would suggest definitely checking that one out. Buster Scruggs uh, is a good one too, because in, in some ways it's kind of it's it's kind of a, a very opposite end of the spectrum of, of Roma not to say that it's bad um, but just that it's the six chapters of one long tale mm-hmm. that you can kind of come in and out of if you like um, which you know it suits Netflix great because by the time it, it's like watching episodic
1: well they're like short films which yeah. is kind of my... yeah they are For sure. yeah
0: yeah um, and I'll, I, it's funny because I'm I'm interested to see how that one sits with people. Yeah. As we get to year end, I see a lot of people loving it. I see some people going like, eh, it's okay. Um, but both of those are are definitely good. And and uh, hey, you know, they're they're both in your living room. So that's right. Yeah. Um, although, as I said, I I prefer that you got out to see Roma. Um, I just prefer that you get out. Period. Thank you. Know, you. That's that's really what I, <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Really. I'm out tonight. there we go. Um, well, that's uh, that's more about James. We'll learn more about him in. Um, 2025, uh, but... Uh, for, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I shouldn't joke about that. Um, but for now, though, we need to get on to the new slang of this episode. The new slang for episode 212. It is The Favorite, coming up right after this.
1: She keeps a mowish on In a pretty cabinet At the big case, she says Just like Marie Antoinette A building a remedy For Christophe and Kennedy And it's time it Ooh, cool. nice. She's a killer, queen, agility, the
0: favorite is directed by yorgos lathimos it is written by deborah davis and tony mcnamara it stars olivia coleman rachel weiss Emma Stone, Joe Alwyn, and Nicholas Holtz. It's the story set in England at the beginning of the 18th century. Queen Anne sits on the throne, that's Olivia Colman, and is largely incapacitated due to gout. Her activities and favor all seem to funnel through Sarah, the Duchess of Marlborough, that's Rachel Weisz. Into this dynamic comes Abigail, that's Emma Stone, Sarah's distant cousin, looking for work and to hopefully raise her station in life a few runs. She's at first given a role with Some of the house staff, but through talent and opportunity, she seizes on a chance to win the Queen's favor. Soon, Sarah and Abigail are at odds over Queen Anne herself for her approval and all of the opportunities and luxuries that come with it. Without getting too far ahead of ourselves, this is a film that is startlingly low on sympathy. While it's not what I describe as ugly, it's certainly loaded with a lot of very selfish people doing very selfish things. It's that selfishness that leads to the absence of sympathy. So, pop quiz, hotshot. What are we to do with that? If a film arrives without characters or situations that are sympathetic, why are we here?
1: Well, I would disagree that it's a film without characters who are sympathetic. I actually found Olivia Coleman's performance incredible uh, because she can make you feel sympathy for someone who you shouldn't feel sympathy for. At least I did. I felt the Queen had a lot of uh, a lot of obstacles. She was kind of a lonely person. She had health issues, uh, perhaps some mental health issues as well. Certainly. Um, you know, she she was impetuous at times. You know, and nasty. But there were also times when she you you sense that that you know she'd been through a lot of tragedy um she had 17 pregnancies none of the children lived very long i think the, it, it, i looked up this historically the oldest one was 11 when he died oh, and, shit. and most of the, and that was one the other ones were all like two or a couple of days old or miscarried or stillborn um she she had a tough life i mean she suffered um physically but she also had this you know this this not being able to to have an heir um uh, and you know it was political uh intrigues going on you know she didn't know who she could trust um but that being said there there were a lot there was lots of maneuvering going on as as always and uh and the other characters you know that's where you you're right in that you uh, even at the beginning where you think Emma Stone might be someone you can root for yeah you quickly realize um and, and maybe she, you know, it, it's, it's, it could be argued that she tries yeah. at first to do things, you know, the, the, the nice way, um, yeah. and then gets drawn into this game. Um, but yeah, I,
0: I don't know how you felt about the well, Queen I herself. Mean, but. The, I was, was going to say the thing is is that the, you bring up a, an interesting point, and we will get back to her like in, in a deeper dive in a, in a few minutes. But I didn't have a whole lot of sympathy for Queen Anne when I kept thinking to myself, but wait a minute, she's the queen. You know, it's it's really, really difficult to get sympathetic for somebody who rules a country simply by being born, not by conquer, not by election, just you're the next one and you get to run it and live a life where somebody wipes your ass for you. Yeah. Uh, I know, I mean, that's the one thing I'm actually kind of surprised we didn't see in this movie because we see just about everything else being done for her. She is in a very tough situation in terms of where we where we come in you know like we come in where she's incapacitated and she's grumpy and she's she's really the head of the state in figure only you know like all everything everything's running through her but she's not commanding an army she's she's just she's making royal decree and she's kind of like this prisoner inside this palace But at the same time, she's a prisoner in a palace. You know what I'm saying? So that's... I I mean, that that was my difficulty with this movie, is while I did find it very interesting and certainly very engaging and really memorable in a lot of ways, I had trouble emotionally connecting with it because I'm like, who am I rooting for here? Uh, The
1: script is fantastic. Uh, Very funny. Uh, And yet, uh, it turns. I mean... Uh, one of my friends said said that most of лентон's films are darkly funny but they're they're sort of um you know there's a bit of social commentary and it kind of the mood usually stays the same throughout the film mm-hmm. um this film turns this film starts off being really what you think is a comedy and then by the end it's it's quite sad a lot of people when they left the theater were kind of going yeah that that's it kind of becomes a downer um because, well, basically what you're seeing is someone's social ascendancy is corresponding to their own personal debasement, basically. Like they they become... It's it's an old story. You become, you know, you, you, you sell your soul, basically, to get power. And yeah. so the, there's a final scene where, you know, um, I'm not sure if I'm getting ahead of myself here, but like Emma Stone gets what she wants, but doesn't really look all that happy at the very end of the film.
0: No, um,
1: no. And, of course, the queen is is kind of confused about it anyway she sort of has a new favorite but her life's not really much much better you know they yeah. the same sort of things that, you know the players have changed the, the political just,
0: uh stuff has changed around but yeah nobody's any happier at the end really. yeah the machinations of this movie and of the characters like these are some really detailed and well-drawn characters mm-hmm. even if i still hold tight to i don't actually like any of them um, is really intricate and really um, well drawn and well played it's a very like it 's a finely tuned machine. Mm-hmm. This movie is even um, even as it goes along and you can watch these these women 's stock rise and fall um you know i love that in 2018 that it's really and truly the story of three women mm-hmm. and how they and how they interrelate with one another and how two of them are basically fighting over the third um but not in a romantic way in, in a in a really twistedly romantic way mm-hmm. um you know okay so we must start with coleman because she's she's kind of the one who's getting most of the attention as queen anne she's She's really large in stature in this movie, but she's really small in reality. Like, she, she's a queen who's reduced to yelling out of a window yeah. at a string quartet. Oh, yeah. There's some funny
1: stuff. I mean, it's funny in a sense that her, her. Like, she can make a command and make things happen, but yeah. it's, it's, it's usually wasted on. Something as silly as as not wanting that quartet to play music. She just yells out, "Stop! Yeah, you know, go away!" And they and they have to. Yeah, uh, there's a scene that made me laugh really hard. Where there's this young footman who's really just a boy, and she yells at him. She says, "Stop leaning at me!"
0: Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. leans
1: in, and she shouts at him. So yeah, I mean, it's silly. Um, and she's quite childlike in a lot of the film. Like she goes back and forth between being this you know, this 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 dictatorial queen giving out commands, but also to being, like, this whimpering,
0: crying, um, almost like a little kid, you know? Well, it's funny, because Coleman has a real tendency to play, like, blue-collar working with it. And it's really interesting to see that dynamic hung on the regent of the British Empire, because yeah. that's really what she brings to it. Like, she's not... Playing it as as God incarnate, which is the, what the Queen is supposed to be, she's playing it as a grumpy, downtrodden working woman who really just wants to eat the cake, yeah. but can't because she'll get the shits later if she does. You know, it, it, that's that's the strange that's the strange thing about how yeah. the character is written, and the beautiful thing about how she plays it is just everything about it. She plays so mis like so miserable. She's so sad. Yeah. And it shows you like her character, but also the uh, we haven't mentioned yet
1: the the male characters who are all the politicians. Yeah, um, there are some scenes. I won't spoil the movie, but just to show you how ridiculous they are, like how um, not serious they are. How you know they they half the time they're drunk or you know they're they're just uh, so removed from real life that like, and they're they're not very bright. Like yeah, uh, it's it's sort of. It humanizes them in the worst way, in the sense that like they're not people you admire. Um, they're a bit ridiculous. Uh, it leads. There's a lot of comedy in it, but in the end, you're sort of like these are the people that are leading the country. Like these yeah. are the people sending, you know, people off to die in wars. Like that's kind of. Underlying the, the the frivolity, you're like this is kind of horrifying.
0: Yeah, uh, we're, we're sorry to hear that you've got the gout, you know, Your Majesty. But are you going to raise taxes? Right. It's 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 absurd. I mean, even just the way the way they dress is absurd. The way yeah. they they what they do for fun is absurd. Um, it, it, that that's the thing is every time that we actually have to go like bring in the actual court, things have a tendency to get really silly really quick. Yeah, like the men are. Are comic relief
1: in a lot of ways yeah. the the two women who are you know fighting over the queen um it's not just about her affections or money or stuff there there's political power there like oh they, yeah there's sort of like the, the the power behind the throne which is like controlling the government and stuff so it's 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 pretty the stakes are pretty high like it's pretty
0: serious stuff yeah. in some ways so we've got emma stone as abigail um which I you know I was I I didn't really know what we were gonna get because Emma Stone is still uh, very much on the upward trajectory of her career. Uh, you know she has she's like she's really been a name for like just eight years now, which I, I mean eight years is still a long time. Mm. Um, but hasn't done a whole lot like this where it's period and it's a little weightier, um, the, like these kinds of movies. I was happy to see that she she seemed very much at home mm. in you know in 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 the presence of two really titanic actresses um by the time the dust settles this could be three oscar-winning actresses all playing off each other um if coleman were to to get a win this year um abigail's kind of a chameleon you know she comes in as this just destitute Former nobility, but now downtrodden because her father was a gambler. Um, but did you find is she is she sympathetic, or do you think she was calculating and That's took tough, away some yeah. of that sympathy? It's a tough. I pull. come back I, to that I, word again. Yeah, you,
1: know? you you do at the beginning before you know certain things, you you do think oh she's just an innocent, you know she's she's just trying to make her way. Um, you do find out some of the things she did uh, before she arrives at this household, like to kind of get herself back uh some of it's quite seedy like she you know she she seems like she's willing to do whatever whatever it takes mm-hmm. um but you do feel sympathy when she first arrives at the at the you know the household she's she's given pretty much the the worst jobs um she
0: shows up covered in mud uh
1: y- y- more than mud even yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but she's uh, you know and then they 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 um they give her like this cold bath thing. And then like they, they, her colleagues kind of, um, play a bit of a, a joke on her. And, um, so like, she's not treated well at first. Um, it seems like a harsh sort of world she's she's come into. So she, either she toughens up really fast or, you know, all along really she's been this person. She's just sort of revealing it yeah. uh, as the
0: film goes on. I mean, that's the thing. is, like, or, or As the movie begins to play out, I actually did kind of feel for her because obviously she's just... She doesn't... You don't know exactly what she wants. Like she's not going there looking to be the number three. Like, I don't think that when she shows up and says, Hey cousin, do you remember me? And can you give me something to do? I don't think that she's looking to like be the number three woman in the, in the whole house. But at the same time, she's not looking to run the kitchens either, but that really quickly kind of turns as she, like you can see wheels turning Mm -hmm. of how she can rise her, how she can lift her station. Now, I mean, we are talking about an age where women had to be extremely clever not to be just completely and utterly, you know, shit upon, and still were, um, but still watching her manipulate both the queen and Sarah at the same time—it's—it's yeah. kind of—it's—it's it's like, first of all, it's amazing, <laughs> you know. I got I to gotta admit, like in, in terms of like the devilishness behind it, it's actually pretty badass. It, but it's—but it, again, it's also really nasty. You can't really.
1: Um talk about her without talking about Rachel Weisz's yeah. character because as soon as she comes into the house, you know the dynamic here is that Rachel Weisz has had influence over the Queen for some time, has is used to getting her way um, politically even, like is telling the Queen who to appoint to, to the cabinet, like yeah. all, all this stuff is in her control. Yeah, um, She recognizes the threat. But then there's, a, there's kind of a, a big thing that comes up later is that um, Rachel Weisz's character is very... Uh, blunt with the queen. She's very honest with her. She, yeah. She, you know, there's a scene where she tells her that her makeup makes her look like a badger. Um, <laughs> and you know, she's saying this to the queen, like yeah. this is, this is not something, you know, well, she gets you, away with She could it. be killed. She could be killed, but she's, she's developed, uh, you find out like she they've been friends since they were children. Um, so she's got this trust, you know, she can kind of say whatever she wants. Uh, and at a certain point when there's this push and pull, she says like, I will always tell you the truth. Whereas, you know, this, this Abigail character is willing to sort of flatter you and tell you whatever you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's in the end, like who, who is your favorite? Like, what would you rather have? Like, who would you rather have as your advisor? Someone that tells you the truth, uh, even though it's not nice to hear or someone who just kind of flatters you. Yeah. And I think that's a,
0: that's a good theme, I guess, for the whole thing. It's, it, I, it's, it's a good, it's a good theme for life really. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Rachel Vice. um. She tells her at one point, like the queen says, "Could you could, could you hear they were calling me fat, fat?" And she goes, "No, the only person who would call you fat was me, and I didn't." It's yeah. <laughs> she says that out loud. You're like, "Yeah, are you like are you like hoping to be beheaded or <laughs> what?" And, she, and it just it goes by. Um, Rachel Weiss in this movie is incredible. Like, I mean, on the one hand, you think she's playing a game. You know, you think that she looks at this as her way to keep a station, her way to keep a certain amount of privilege, her way to elevate her entire existence. Um, but then in a lot of ways, like she has these tender moments with the queen and mm-hmm. you're like, no, she actually does care about her.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've known each other almost their whole lives. Yeah. Um, now the dynamic has always been, I think, that she manipulates the queen. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some and you know we're, we haven't even talked about the fact that there is this implied uh, kind of sexual relationship between all three of these characters. Yeah. Um, how much of it is just a power game? We don't
0: really know. Um, I and mean, that's that, that's what makes that char- That's what makes the whole story really yeah. interesting. To, despite like as I said off the top, the lack of sympathy yeah. is just the intrigue of it and those machinations. And it's what makes Sarah such an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Is there is attraction and affection underneath this seemingly cold political motivation yeah you know you watch and she puts that in like her every look her every gesture her every posture it is this yeah. like, mix of everything
1: there's also an interesting um thing that i noticed was that she, uh sarah's character is married to um Lord Marlborough is like the head of the army, basically. And uh, at a certain point, he's sent off to France to fight in this war. And you don't know whether she's cool with that or not. Like, There's a part of you that says, oh, maybe she's hoping he'll get killed because she really doesn't have any use for him. But then later in the film, you're like, I think he comes across fairly decently as for one of the male characters anyway. And you're sort of thinking, yeah, maybe they actually... Are you know happy together? So it's a really weird thing where you're trying to figure out how someone married at the same time as they're carrying on this sort of uh, this weird affair with with uh, a woman. You know, yeah. it's kind of interesting because you you don't really know if it's if it's done out of love or if it's done out of just just greed or power yeah. and seeking.
0: It's it's fascinating. Yeah, this is a movie that uses its set to like to to great effect there are a lot of long walks through the palace there are a lot of really wide angles of you know of the like the palace and parliament um it's i am not entirely sure what to make of that it kind of feels like at times they want you to feel the grandeur of all of it in, in you know in terms of what's happening and to make these people look smaller sometimes it wants to make everybody look bigger this brings up the thing that i
1: actually kind of hated about oh okay so i mean in general yes story characters acting script everything fantastic yeah um i found the camera work very distracting okay um so there's there's an element here where i think uh, this is my Feeling is that the director wants to remind you that this is a modern take on a period piece yeah um now in my opinion there's other things in the film that that convey that i mean the dialogue is quite sharp and you know you're not it's not a stuffy uh script at all it's very funny it's very sharp yeah Uh, but there's this thing that they do so first of all the use of fisheye lenses for the first time it's kind of interesting the yeah 10th time they do it it's kind of annoying okay um the other thing they do and you and you can tell me what you thought of this they do this thing where they whip the camera around 180 degrees it's like a, a kind of a weird like it's like someone turning their head and looking the other direction and it's it's such a gimmick like and it feels kind of cheap it, it, in my opinion like the cinematography is fine but in those moments it feels like it's drawing attention to something um kind of gimmicky and it's used a lot like i'd say that 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 180 degree camera whipping thing happens at least six or seven times in the film it's very
0: showy the uh the gentleman robbie ryan who shot this movie he's actually usually much more restrained this is a guy who films movies like wuthering heights and fish tank and ginger and rosa and Philomena. he's usually much more subdued See, i'm thinking this is a directorial uh, oh yeah prob- probably probably um, I didn't like, like it. you know, having seen having seen more than a few Lathmos movies. I'd say definitely. Yeah. Um, I didn't like. I didn't think it worked. Though I think he, I, I, he's he's yeah. trying to do something. that Doesn't have to be. I th- I think he wants us to be. We're in these rooms that are meant to humble us. We're in these rooms that are made, meant to make us feel small mm-hmm. and imposed. And yet he still wants us to feel human. He still wants us to feel as though everything is within our view and that we would whip our head if something weird like came in or, you know, if we saw a bunny in the corner, that kind of thing. <laughs> I I don't know how much it works. I do. I do like that this movie has scope. I got I sure. got to give it that much is because I've seen a few too many times where you get these beautiful rooms and you get these beautiful costumes and whatever. And the film spends far too much time. And I say this as a person who tends to shoot like this in my own photography, spends a lot of time really close up. So I do like that we're backed off and that we're in rooms that if we were to go there now, they would be full of people with cameras. I think
1: um, if, if you wanted to convey some of the, I mean the wide angle stuff, is fine. The fisheye thing distorts, right? It's it's meant to distort. And you're probably meant to think like, oh, you know, what a weird world world is Um, distorted, which I think, you know, if you use it judiciously fine, I just felt like every time it came up, I felt like he was kind of hitting us over the head with it. Yeah, Um, It was it was ostentatious. It wasn't um, you know, it's not like you want the cinematography to be this kind of, you know, um, gauzy, you know, Slow mo kind of no. thing that they do in a lot of period things. Maybe they could have done some handheld stuff. It would have conveyed a bit more <sighs> of that modernity. But I think he's his his this whatever this technique
0: was. I didn't wasn't doing it for you. It wasn't doing it for me. Hmm. I, I, it, it pulled it was, me out of the, of the yeah. Of no, the I, I was okay. I, I I liked it because I I liked really feeling tiny in those rooms. I think that's the thing. Is those those that space is meant to dwarf anybody who happens to walk through them, right? Mm-hmm. Except for the person who lives there. So I, I, was thinking in a lot of those moments, I did feel small and I was like, these are humans, but at the same time, they're making me feel like insignificant. You know, I don't know if people listening to this show realize who Yorgos Lanthimos is as a director, but he is the uh, odd man who has brought us movies like Alps and uh, Dogtooth um, more recently and notably Killing of a Sacred Deer and um, The Lobster. His movies all seem to be about control, whether it's, you know, the, the father of a family keeping a close control over his children in the world as they know, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, um, a, a somebody trying to exploit somebody else or, or hold them up for ransom. This movie as well is about control. And it seems to be about this kind of power struggle between everybody, I was going to originally say between the three women mm-hmm. for control, but it's but the guys too. Yeah, it, it, do you think like he's just like fixated on this, or do you think maybe he is a control freak? What's, <laughs> what's, he, what's he trying to do? I, I, I'm thinking back to
1: what you were saying about the rooms being big and you know feeling tiny, but actually I think some of the stuff was repeat. There was a lot of um, repeated shots of you know the hallway between. Uh, what I assume is the main part of the house and the queen's bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's other shots where um, I felt like you didn't get the feeling, in some ways you, you felt claustrophobic too. Like, at the same time you realize the queen had a very limited range of motion. Like, she also was in a wheelchair a lot of the time or was being carried around, you know, in a chair because of her gout. Uh, and I think, so it's strange that at the same time she might have a big house it didn't feel like she had that much freedom so uh there's there's a feeling at the same time of being kind of closed in i thought
0: i mean like she is she's the regent of the entire british empire at that Mm. at that time she controls like half the known world right and yet at the same time she can't leave this one few hectares worth of property yeah you know it's it kind of reminds me of i read um uh a few weeks ago i read michelle obama's book and she talks about um, the night that the uh, Supreme Court made a landmark ruling on gay marriage, and the light, the White House lit itself up in pride colors. And she wanted to just go outside and look at it. The way there was a huge crowd outside, and she wanted to go see it from their vantage point. And she went to Barack Obama, and she's like, "Come on, let's go outside. Let's look at the lights." He goes, "There's a crowd out there. I can't do crowds. What do you new? It, it's 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 that kind of thing, right? Of yeah. control, like like I said, with not the most movies, control." On the one hand, Queen Anne has control over the whole empire, yeah. but she has so little control over her own existence. Which is kind of what
1: I hooked on to to feel some empathy because I thought, you know, she might live in a palace, but she didn't choose this life. No. Um, she didn't really have much of a choice about being the queen either. Um, you know, you kind of get that handed to you. You sort of do what you have to do. Um, I think she was only queen for about 10 years, if I, if I looked it up. But... Um, but still, like it, it didn't seem like something she really wanted to do. Yeah. there were times where she just wanted to be left alone or you know hang out with her rabbits, uh, hang out with her rabbits,, <laughs> um, yeah, so all this stuff like, people didn't have much choice about what they could do with their lives, and even in the case of emma stone's character, like you she had to kind of go after this this power because otherwise she, she would have been destitute. She would have had no prospects for marriage if she was, you know, a maid in a in a house. Like, she needed to... Of a selling name, too. Like, her father yeah. has
0: basically, like, destroyed their
1: nobility. So she had to elevate herself again or her life would, would have no prospects.
0: Yeah. It's, um... It's funny because, you know, we're talking about the way these men and women relate with one another, the way the women relate with each other, and... Uh, two of them are married and and is not uh at the time of this movie and yet in none of them and maybe it speaks to the time and in the and the the society but in no time is love a factor that's the crazy thing about this movie is there is supposed to be this love between sarah and the queen but at the same time it's like i'm like i don't I don't really. I don't know if I just don't recognize it, but I certainly don't feel it. So I do think and certainly they, not between the men and the women. They took some definite liberties
1: because I looked up uh, the historical, you know, the, the people that are, and they are all based on real people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Queen Anne was very happily married, according to most historians. Okay, um, and uh, even though they they weren't able to have any children that really survived, um, they seemed to be happy together. It's it's funny that in the film her husband is just not a presence like he's just it's like he he doesn't exist um the other thing that's interesting is that in the film um abigail Emma stones character has this flirtation with um this man at, at at court i guess and eventually um is married to him and you think while it's going on that there's something kind of you know maybe it's humanizing or oh maybe they're in love like there's definitely seems to be some affection and there's you know flirting and stuff going on um but then she becomes so obsessed with with pursuing this this relationship with with the queen that even that kind of gets completely um I don't know it just it sort of it loses all of its spark like it, it's it's like she gets what she wants and then she doesn't really care yeah. anymore you
0: know yeah well, well you know and that's it's I, I realize as, as we're going along here that I'm I'm pillaring an era from a place of privilege I, I mean I'm, I'm doing it from a place of privilege as, as, as a white male for sure but just looking at that that moment where in other stories it's a it's a question of deep attraction at the very least if it's not about what the heart wants it's about you know what what you want below your belt right but it it didn't ever seem like that between um between abigail and samuel is the character who she she kind of flirts with and she does eventually end up getting married off to by the queen's decree um it's it's a strange thing because when i look at the the relationship between the three women i i'm looking at favor i'm not looking at actual affection and i wonder Mm -hmm. if that's what holds me back from this movie a little bit is they're not looking for mommy's love. They're looking to be mommy's favorite. And like, as the title says, and those are two really different things. I think they, um, I mean, they obviously didn't want to make
1: this like a romance or anything, but the, the men that are in these women's lives, at least, um, Sarah and, and Abigail, um, it's ambiguous, like so. Like I said earlier in the film, Sarah is sending her husband away to war, yeah. and you, you aren't really sure if she's wanting to get rid of him or not. Like you know, maybe he won't come back. Maybe he'll get killed in battle. Um, toward the end, it does change a little bit. I find, um, and I'm just maybe I'm just a big empathy sucker. But, <laughs> but by the end of the film, when 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 fortunes have shifted. Um, Sarah is with her husband, who's returned from France and has fallen out of favor um, at court. and And the two of them are sort of look like they're on the outs, like with the queen. But they kind of look like they're okay together. Like they they you do sort of get the sense that they, um, that they love each other, or at yeah. least that they that there's not. Uh, like that, there's some kind of affection between them. Yeah. Uh, now that made me again a little bit sympathetic to her because she'd fallen from her place. But I don't know. Maybe that didn't affect you
0: the same way. I, it's it's I, I I can't explain it. Like we're you know we're talking about a movie where there are uh, one of the plot points. Without digging too deeply into it for people who haven't seen it yet, but one of the plot points is love letters that reveal a very particular affair and i never felt any actual um spark from the from the knowledge of those love letters or what they might reveal i guess maybe i if we had of spent some time with one of them if we had heard the words in one of them Mm -hmm. and really understood the actual affections with like contained on on those pages i might have felt differently but it, it felt I was always wondering if anybody, you know, if either Abigail or Sarah genuinely cared or if they were just looking out for themselves. I think this is the, this is the thing that affects like
1: anyone who's rich or famous or yeah. powerful. It's that who do you trust? Mm-hmm. Uh, do people really care about you or do they just want what you have? Yeah. Um, and it's, it means that it's lonely at the top, right? I mean, you, you, the queen comes across as very needy emotionally. Um, and partially you think it's because of all her afflictions and stuff. But you're also thinking like she she seems just really emotionally needy in general. She's and lonely.
0: That, I yeah. Do, I do get that.
1: And when she thinks someone... Uh, I mean, she enjoys playing them off against each other because she's kind of getting treated better like they're trying to outdo each other and you know yeah doing nice things for the queen or,
0: or paying attention to her you know i do love that this is a movie that constantly has abigail and sarah having conversations while they're taking target practice Yeah, (laughs) you know, like let's get in a little bit more of a blunt metaphor, and (laughs) and you know have them like getting each other literally bloody over who is more true in their aim. Yeah, Um, it's 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 a it's a lovely visual that they come back to several times. Yeah, and and, and you you see over the course of these scenes, I think there's about three of them. You literally see uh, Abigail progressively become a better and better shot.
1: Yeah, and also maybe more willing to. Turn her gun, you know, where it shouldn't be. Like there's definitely a threat that these two women um, are telling each other, you know, watch your step, you yeah. know. Um, something might happen to you. You yeah. know. So there's there's it's kind of fun at first and then you realize like, oh, this is pretty like they're serious. Yeah. Know?
0: Yeah, no, this is it's a it's a like it's a, it's a bloody affair. And it's roomless, and, and, yeah. and yeah, it's it's it is like you, you, you bring up a good point when you say when you talk about stakes, because the the difference between whether you are in a secure uh, cell uh, and able to sleep at night, knowing that you're going to go untouched, or whether you're bunking with ten other people and potentially having anything happen to you while you're while you're passed out, is it's a very thin margin of error, right? So yeah, yeah maybe you would do something. Women
1: don't, didn't at that point, and and often still today, don't have their own money. In in this case, they they have to depend on marrying into a family or or their own father's money. Um, so in in Abigail's case, for sure, she she's has to sort of marry well. So that that's something that is just about financial security. Um, there's a point in the film where both women are sort of there's a there's a reference to to basically prostitution that Mm. that if you can't do anything else like you you may have to sell your body which is kind of like even for these high-born women is 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 not that
0: uh i mean it's still a possibility yeah
1: which is kind of horrifying
0: yeah yeah it's like well you know if nothing else Um, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's an ugly turn. Like it's, it's, it's around that point in the movie where things do get really nasty and I, yeah, it's, it's, it's no coincidence. I don't think that the movie at that point kind of shifts to have one of the settings become a brothel. Um, but on the other hand, if you think about the whole thing, are they both
1: kind of not prostituting themselves to the queen just to, to get what they want? So uh,
0: Yeah. It, it, well, like, I mean, you can certainly say that of Abigail with Sarah. It comes down to how much you believe in her affections. Right. You know, and, and is she playing a game or is she reaping the benefits of an actual relationship? You know, because those are two very different things. One is a very definite give and take. The other is just take. Yeah. So, um, well, it's, it's you know, it's weird because as I said, even with a movie that I'm not completely in love with, and as I said, I do believe in many ways is unsympathetic, it's still fascinating and really intricate and does leave a lot to be discussed and a lot to be examined. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do end our reviews here on the Matinee Cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible, that if you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Uh, James McNally, if you could keep a souvenir from uh, a Favorite, what would you keep? Okay, so you'll have to see the
1: film to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I would say definitely the fastest duck in the city. <laughs> and his name, I found out, is Horatio. Is he? He's
0: like, he's real, he's it's like a real he, duck. He's
1: yeah. a, like, so a, a real talented there's, duck. There's a duck uh, reference in the film as the fastest duck in the city. Right. I would love to
0: have that it it comes up late in the movie too when uh when sarah finds herself somewhere where she's not supposed to be uh and she's got to convince somebody that she knows a man of importance she'll say go out she goes go out to Hyde park you'll see a man with a duck (laughs) that's this guy bring him back um it's also what you just you want that you want that duck like as a pet
1: I just thought he was cool. There's, Char- a, there's a great, a
0: great scene with the ducks, and
1: I'm like, yeah, that that made me laugh very hard. And just uh, pointed out the, the frivolity
0: and the weirdness of. He's, that I mean, Lanthimos has a thing for animals, you know. Like he's he's got the ducks in this one. He's he's got you know all the all the animals and the lobster. He's he doesn't like the cat in uh, in Dogtooth. That's for darn sure. Um, and then of course, there's all the rabbits in this movie too. Um, my souvenir though is not a duck or a rabbit. Um, I want to dance with Rachel Weiss. there is a dance scene in the middle of this movie that is absolutely absurd and kind of betrays the entire time period I think yeah it shows you that that he's making a modern film but yeah. it actually it, it's kind of a laugh out loud moment oh yeah yeah, it's it's wonderful, and yeah. and Rachel Vice um, does her little bit within it nicely, and gets, and and yields the floor as well. Anytime you want to do, like do some break dancing, uh, you know, in, in in pantaloons and and a wig, oh, yeah. uh, she, she's more than
1: willing to, to give you the space. The men in this film, though, just the, have to mention the fashions. Like the wigs are outrageous; they're all powdered uh, faces. Like the men are more vain, and it. Than any of the women in the yeah. film so so the, the the man that uh abigail eventually marries bursts into her room late one night dressed you know completely with his wig and his powdered face and everything and it's this ridiculous outfit and uh and she says what an outfit <laughs> and he says thank you he assumes like it's a compliment yeah. when <laughs> the <laughs> audience and and we all know she's just kind of can't believe how ridiculous he looks. Yeah. So, uh, so there's a lot of that stuff in the film.
0: And I mean, it, it's, you know, you, you when you mention them as a couple, where my brain eventually goes is to their wedding night. <laughs> and if you want to talk about this film's lack of affection, yeah watch this marriage get consummated yeah. and you will see a deep lack of affection. Um, uh, but not in the way you think the way I describe that. Uh, we rate here on the A cast sc- on a scale of one to four, James McNally. What do you give the favorite? Can I give half stars? Of course you can give I half would stars. give it a three
1: and a half. Four three and or half? Four. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and half, I
0: mean, the yeah. half would be for the crazy camera stuff that I didn't like. Right. I get you. Um, I'm giving it a three. I'm, 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 Fascinated by it, I'm I'm really, really perplexed and engaged, and and it it's given me a lot to to think about. And certainly, you know, I, I saw it just a few days ago, and even in trying to put together a discussion about this movie, I was really. Uh, given a lot more to kind of navigate, I just need to get past that emotional distance. That may bridge itself over a few more watchings. Um, I certainly think people should see it. I could understand how people would be put off, um, and as this film gets more attention, as we get into award season, I do know how people will try to watch it and just like not engage. Um, but it's it's a fascinating movie, and it's a well executed movie, and, it's, and it really is something that comes packed with a lot of memorable moments and exchanges and and dynamics for sure even if it doesn't like to me is not what i'd call a perfect movie there we go three and a half from uh, mr mcnally three from mr mcneil uh maybe you think we're both crazy maybe you think this is a perfect movie or maybe you think it's a terrible movie let me know ryan at the matinee.ca twitter or i underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee what do you think of yorgos lathmos's Lathimos Lathimosas? Uh, The favorite <laughs> Let me uh, say that
1: I want to say his name Because it's fun to say
0: e- it Yorgos Lathemos. I wouldn't change my name To Yorgos Yorgos Just yeah, exactly. say it with a D g- <laughs> With a Greek accent Yes um, Hey come on back Right after this We're going to flip the record over And play the other side After a quick break We're back. He's James. I'm Ryan. Well, it's cast 212. Uh, we've been talking about The Favourite and uh, we are going to go to the other side. Ordinarily, I do let the guests go first, but I've got a few more uh, selections than, uh, than my guests today. So I'm going to take uh, the first stab at this. And I've been kind of tap dancing around it, so I kind of want to get the obvious pairing out of the way. Um, we've been talking about director Yorgos Lafimos, uh, and for me, one of his most... Interesting films, and at the same time, it might be his most straightforward, um, came out just last year. Uh, it's The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Did you see that movie? I haven't seen it. Oh, so the crux of this movie is that Colin Farrell plays a heart surgeon, and he has a he has a family. He's married to Nicole Kidman, and he has two more children, and... As the movie begins, you start seeing him have conversations with this teenage boy, and you don't know who this teenage boy is, but you can tell right off the hop that this teenage boy is not somebody he should be talking to. It's not a, he's not a son, like it's not a blood relative. It's not a, a fellow of any sort. There's there's something nefarious between them, and mm. I mean the age that we're in now, you start making some really bad assumptions, and what it turns out is. The the boy has a connection to one of Farrell's patients. And Farrell's family very quickly starts getting sick. One by one, they start to get really, really badly sick. Mm. And the boy says, this is just going to keep happening to you unless you do this. Oh. Um, and it is... It's pitch black. <laughs> it, it's a, it, it's another movie that's really beautiful. Um, you know, he's, he's a doctor, so they have a really lovely suburban house and on a, like an oak lined street of like a gated kind of community. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody is dressed in really nice clothes. He's got two great kids. They're both really smart. But just underneath all of it is this simmering dark ugliness um, that people are just doing to each other and um it's it's weird because on the one hand again like the favorite it's kind of his playing it straight you know it's not like movies like dog tooth Mm -hmm. that's that's really absurd and nasty it's not like the lobster which is just weird as can be Mm -hmm. and and uh you know just not at all what anybody would expect this is a very straight-laced movie but just comes with this like river of tar (laughs) running down the middle of it which i find that's the thing is that i don't always like what yorgos makes in terms of rewatchability in terms of how it makes me feel at the end of the movie but to your point earlier of the big um production movies the franchises and the sequels and the adaptations I, i remember on a visceral level all of this guy's movies especially killing of a sacred deer is there any humor in this? Because usually his films have a bit of a, a twist. Uh, of there's there's a few moments. It's it's. This in doesn't this, sound. No, it's it, there's there there are very few and far between mm-hmm. uh, moments of moments of laughter. Like really really few. Um, and and if you're not in a theater, I don't think you're going to get a whole lot of laughs. Because a lot of the times it's just kind of you know the rest of the crowd kind of laughs at something. It's it's certainly not as like absurd as something like the lobster yeah. or you know you know you don't get I think it might be the one movie where there's not a dance sequence. He's got a thing for dance scenes <laughs> he does. uh Oddly enough but I think there's there's not a dance scene in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's a really really good movie and it's 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 his that I think I I think of the most. And that was just last year. Right? Yeah, so he's it's he's he started to pick up the pace. Yes. Which I mean considering how difficult and how much work had to go into the favorite that's mm-hmm. pretty impressive maybe because he didn't write the favorite maybe it was a little bit easier could be if he's just a hired gun you can turn him over quicker yeah um no so i definitely say if you get a chance to check out killing of a sacred deer um do do go you know i'd watch it like in the afternoon it's it, if it's gonna sink you if you watch it in the dark okay i i, I kind of promise you <laughs> i went and saw it on a very bad day so i really shouldn't have yeah. but i didn't know what i was getting into to be entirely honest, right. I just knew a lot of people were talking about it. I was like, oh, I'm going to go see this movie. And I don't even think I put together that it was directed by the lobster guy. Yorgos. Yeah, right. By, by Yorgos, yeah. Uh, what do you got? What did you come away with? So the
1: f- first thing that, uh, and I'm not sure if you've seen this, but uh, a great film called The Madness of King George. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I know of it. Okay, so it's set uh, maybe about 80 years after this film in the in the late uh, 1700s, King George III um, starts to display symptoms of madness, and uh, it's all about how the people around him try to cover it up at first, um, and then they try to protect him from all the, you know, the the basically the backstabbing and the and the politicking that goes on when people realize that this guy might not survive or he might be incapacitated. Uh, so it has some similar things in that when the king is going mad he he kind of humanizes him like he's running around in his nightshirt and dancing and doing all these crazy things that he would never have done before so you you kind of actually you're sympathetic for him because nobody knows what's going on like they're like what's happened to the king like why is he losing his mind um and this is based on a real uh incident as well it turned out it was some kind of blood disorder that they didn't know about, and of course at that time they tried all sorts of crazy stuff to, mm-hmm. to, to heal him, which was uh, probably agonizing and ineffectual. Um, but just the whole thing that you know you have to cover up th- for this person who, because if you knew the truth, people would all start plotting, and this is kind of what happens: people are all plotting against him, and uh, you know his his ministers are trying to hold off this kind of stuff. But it's 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 really well done. It's. Um, Uh, Nigel Hawthorne plays the king. Uh, Helen Mirren is in it. It came out in 1994. It's a good Um, year for
0: movies. Yeah,
1: and it's directed by Nicholas Hittner, uh, who's a theater director in the UK. And it's based on a play by Alan Bennett, who's, uh, well, I could go on and on about Alan Bennett. He's a national treasure. He's a playwright, but also like a very brilliant kind of humorist. So the play has a lot of funny moments, and the the film does as well. But I'd recommend it. Yeah, it's uh, 1994.
0: Um, it's it's one of those ones... I mean, the shot... You talk about an iconic shot in, in movie history. The the shot of him running through the palace corridor in his nightshirt. Yes. is It's capital-I iconic. Um, Nigel Hawthorne was nominated yeah. for Best Actor as King George. As was Helen Mirren, actually. Um, in, in a really good year for movies, 94, as I mentioned. Yeah. Um, Again, you know, it's it's a kind of story that makes you sympathetic for somebody who you really wouldn't be sympathetic for. Yeah. You know. Again, we, we've got people who, like you say, that they they're they're put into these positions not by choice, uh, often by duty, mm-hmm. uh, often sometimes by lineage, and not being able, to, like like for for a regent to defy their 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 matriarchy or their patriarchy and say, I'm not doing this. I'm 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 renouncing. It took a lot of stones, like, and that's that's probably why a lot, like, that you didn't see that.
1: And people love these kind of stories. Like, remember when the King's Speech came out? People love that too. It wasn't necessarily a brilliant bit of filmmaking, but the story of someone that we think uh, has everything, who 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 doesn't, who's got flaws, you know, who has issues, who has problems. Uh, I think people want to see that they're just people like us. Yeah.
0: When's the last time you watched this movie?
1: Oh boy, Um, been a while. It's at least 10 years, yeah. Uh, It's not, you know, um, it's not completely an obscure movie. No, no. um, Well... Yeah, I, I don't even remember if
0: I have it on DVD or not, but it's it's been a while. It's it's funny because these are the kinds of movies that, in in the age of streaming and platforms and those kinds of things, that I wonder, that I worry that they're getting lost. Yeah. Um, I mean, in 1994, this would have made like a lot of critics' top ten lists. You know, it would have been like one of the big movies of the year. And then yeah. you get like ten years on, you get into 2004 and say, "Hey, guys, remember the Madness of King George?" And like a lot of people don't. You know, know. which is which is kind of a shame yeah um the one thing i, I do love uh anytime I, I think about this movie which I, I i haven't seen so thank you for the reminder i am going to try and chase it down now but when i think about this movie uh i usually come back to um i usually come back to hamilton uh because yeah. they you know the the king george has three songs within hamilton that always just kind of seem to stop the action cold and the first one when he's singing you'll be back there's a great <laughs> line when he's talking to the people of america and he says when you're gone i'll go mad so don't throw away this thing we had oh there you go and, it's, and that's the thing is like people don't necessarily know that he actually did go did mad, go mad yeah. not because of the loss of america but just because of the blood, just, disorder. Just blood disorder but yeah. it's, a, it's a neat little throwaway thing that yeah. a lot of people don't and catch. you know
1: if you're looking at history from an american or north american perspective you would have instantly thought king george iii was uh, an idiot like a buffoon a, a terrible king and yeah um Again, no, he was really sick. Yeah, but things, you know, these kind of stories kind of balance things out. Yeah. And um, although they're not probably exactly historically accurate, they they definitely
0: make you interested in,
1: you know, the the whole scope of somebody's uh, yeah reign, well, I mean, you know? and then
0: like t- you know the, the the verse finishes with. Because when push comes to shove, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. <laughs> it's, it's, really, it's really well done yeah. and I think should immediately be followed with a screening of the madness of King George. Um, well, I it's kind of funny because when it comes to that kind of movie, uh, another one that I thought of that I'll mention just really quickly because the other film I, I thought of I want to talk about more. But I did also think of Dangerous Liaisons, mm-hmm. um, which um, if people haven't seen it, it's uh, it's the first version of Cruel Intentions. Uh, it's the same story, but with corsets and wigs. Um, John Malkovich is amazing in that movie. Michelle Pfeiffer is amazing in that movie. Um, again, really pretty people, really privileged people, doing some really nasty things. Um, there is a scene that is sexy as hell in this movie, where John Malkovich is writing a letter, and he's writing it on a woman's. He's using a woman's naked back as his writing desk. I'm like, okay, that's, that's points for that right there. Um, but yeah, coming away from the favorite, I did definitely think of dangerous liaisons again. Um, which it's been, oh man, it's been 30 years since that movie. Holy crap. So I have, applies. I have a confession. I didn't, dangerous
1: liaisons? I didn't, not only did I not see it, but I saw another film that came out around the same time with the same story called Valmont. I don't know if you no. saw Valmont. Valmont came out in 89. When did dangerous liaisons come out? 88. So again, this is funny when, two filmmakers make the same story around the same time probably don't know each other are working on it belmont is uh is colin firth annette benning meg tilly um you know it's it's a good cast as well it's telling the same story didn't get as much attention um so i've i've seen this story i just haven't seen the film you're talking about but i do remember a similar scene and you've
0: seen cruel intentions
1: uh i haven't seen cruel intentions no no oh man uh, but Belmont was Milos Forman. So, I mean, it's a, it's a worthy... Oh,
0: okay, okay.
1: A worthy, okay. worthy contender. Uh, okay. Who did Dangerous Liaisons? It was... Stephen Frears.
0: Steve, yes, yeah. Who, I mean, like all of his movies uh, tend to be some, some pretty wonderful things. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of him like really clicking on all cylinders. So this cast seems a
1: little bit like larger than life. Yeah. So, you know, definitely Malkovich, Glenn Close, Michelle Pfeiffer. Those are sort of bigger performances probably. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the other film is not as well known, but no. I think, um, similar
0: story. One of them had the budget, I guess. Yeah. The, the other movie I thought of was, um, I went back to 1977 and I thought about Robert Altman, Three Women. When's the last time you watched that movie? I have
1: not seen Three Women. It's really? ridiculous because I'm a big Altman fan oh, and wow. I'm a big fan of all the actors actresses yeah, yeah. in the film. So I think I have to correct that. That's a criterion. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um... It's, it's you know, this is a movie where there's a lot less privilege going on. This is a movie about just um, women who are really just trying to make ends meet, women who are um, really uh, down on their luck and taking whatever job and opportunity they can. Um, Another movie where the characters are really damaged um, is there a similar kind of triangle between the, the third woman in this movie played by Janice Rule is a little bit more peripheral. Like it's, it's a, it's kind of a misnomer as three women when it's really, it's, it's two and one of the two has this duality thing. So she's kind of, she within herself is kind of makes up two of the three. Okay. Um, but again, it's, just, it's, just, it's, another story where, um, the relationship between the woman between the women yeah. is is muddy. Sometimes it's like, are you are you idolizing her? Yeah. Are you in love with her? Are you actually fixated with her? What's going on? Okay, yeah. um, and 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 it's really done through some really really trippy ways. It's and Sissy Spacek, right? And um, Shelley, du- uh, Shelley, Shelley Duvall, Duvall. Shelley yeah. Duvall playing her weird and whimsical best. Okay, fantastic. Right? Like she, she's a very free spirited. Um, kind of hipster before there was a hipster okay. um but not nearly as cool as she thinks she is in her head yeah she thinks that she's queen shit yeah. but she's really not and and it's it's kind of tragic in mm. that way and then into that orbit comes sissy spacex right. who thinks this is somebody who i want to be with this is somebody who i want to idolize um and Sort of outgrows her in a really cold way yeah, okay that sounds uh, a little similar to her yeah our yeah plot. which yeah. is why I thought it was a, it was a great pairing um, and just you know anytime anybody can get excuse to watch some classic yeah. Robert Altman I think they're in for a good time um, yeah it's it's one of those things that I, I was I was thinking about is that you know I I, I of course uh, champion and believe and, and support um, women directing films but I, I don't think that that's the, the whole dynamic. I think that, they, that you need to tell their stories too, and they need to tell their stories too. Yeah. So even though we've got The Favourite being told through Yorgos' point of view... Um, you know, we're, we're listening to a story about three women and how they interact with each other and how they relate to each other. We're listening to Deborah Davis's script. Um, and, you know, it, would it have been nice if this was directed by Deborah Granick or, or Lexi Alexander? Yeah, absolutely. It would have. Been, and I'm sure it would have added a layer of complexity. Uh, but It I would have been my, a
1: different film completely, though. Oh it, would, oh, it
0: would have been an absolutely different film, for sure. Um, but that's the thing is that I, I like stories where... The dynamic is, for center, yeah. not just, you know, the cast, but the way they relate.
1: It's funny because sometimes, too, an outside perspective is interesting. So even though it's a man directing the story of women, uh, for instance, Yorgos Lanthimos has a his producer, uh, Rachel Sengar, I, oh it's really close to my tip of my tongue, she made a film a couple of years ago called Chevalier, which was... Um, oh. Did you see that? It's, it's, it's like her commentary on like male masculinity, toxic masculinity, male fragility. And I think that is um, more than valuable. I mean, it was hilarious to, to see it made fun of that way, but you know, there's, I think that there's always room for someone to, to, to make a comment on, you know, um, the other, like you, you can't just say that you can only make your own story. Like you have, people have to be free to, Tell whatever story they want. You
0: Athena know. Rachel Sangari, Sangari is who yeah. you're thinking of. Um, so maybe if also, she, also Greek.
1: If she directed this, maybe that would oh, be interesting. Because I mean, she has a similar um, sort of dark humor, yeah. as Yorgos, and uh, you know that would have been interesting. Well,
0: the, I, I, I would believe that at this stage in his career, that Yorgos is, is influenced by Sangari, and, and he's not going to tell the same story that she is. Yeah. But you know, thinking of what would Sangari do. Is probably in his in his toolkit, you know. Oh yeah, at, and at I'm sure stage. he
1: discussed this project with his collaborators. Right, yeah. so there's there's always input. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like usually the film is directed because that someone wants that director's uh, you know lens on it, yeah, you know, filter or whatever they're going to bring to it.
0: Yeah, and uh, so yeah. and that's the thing is that is Altman. Um, I I. I when I think about Altman's movies, I think about I think about a lot of times where uh, a lot of complicated women mm. of various backgrounds had some very complicated conversations. Um, not all the time, of course. Like he, he is a dude like the rest of them and tells a lot of dude-centric stories as well. Yeah. But when you think about movies like Three Women and like Nashville and like uh, even something like uh, Prairie Home Companion, you get some some really interesting conversations between yeah. uh, you know these various classes of women. Um, that I that I'm very happily very happy exist and is there to influence the next class of movies um, but hey that's about it for episode 212 on the Matt a cast I'd love to uh Thank James McNally for coming by, and I promise that it won't take me uh, seven years to get you by Am I I your favorite now? Am I the favorite? (laughs) Don't step on my rabbit. I'll rub your legs. (laughs) (laughs) Come on back on Monday, December 31st for episode 213. It's the year-end episode. We'll be counting down our top five films of the year. Um, I've got three great guests coming by, um, so please uh, feel free. uh, uh, Please do... put on your headphones while you're getting ready for new year's eve and uh let us talk about some of the year's top movies james uh his most findable these days i mean well first of all if you want to hear some great music go go over to swan dive in toronto and listen for dj old nerdy bastard because that is always a fun time and uh congrats on by the way i gotta tell you when that bar the, the last time i came and that bar really filled up that's, so is that, is that that's usually par for the course, uh, or is that did we just get you on a really good night?
1: I don't remember what it was. I, I mean, yeah, it's not going to fill up before midnight. That seems to be well. The...
0: There's there's that for starters. Yeah. But I mean, I, that was kind of the surprise. Is like you kind of start your set at ten. Yeah. And then the whole place fills up at twelve. But it's your sets are like on a Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. And, and I'm like. I was like, this is this is kind of incredible to see. You know, sometimes when you, when you hear somebody does, oh, I do DJ work. It's like, okay, yeah. What do you play? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I play I play bluegrass, but not new bluegrass. Only, <laughs> only that true. Okay, I may um, have been. A, it could have been a, a lucky night.
1: I think I had a, a couple of. I, I was theming the nights for a while, and I think that. That
0: a few more than nice normal. so if you're in Toronto go listen to old nerdy bastard um, also if you're in Toronto for the love of God um, go check out shorts not pants when is the next shorts not pants Do okay we so we just
1: concluded our first uh, weekend festival uh, about three weeks ago and I think for 2019 we're, we're gonna go with uh, a couple of quarterly screenings so probably the first one will be in February okay and then three months later what's that month? Like? May and- august and then november again uh best to just check our website shortsnotpants.com
0: and there will be links in the show in the show notes if people want to follow you on twitter or follow shorts on pants on twitter where can they find shorts not
1: pants on twitter uh Jay mcnally on twitter uh
0: and of course again links in the show notes um my my site is thematine.ca for more audio content you can find back episodes by going to the slash podcasting you can also find them on Pocket Cast, stitcher radio spotify blueberry apple's podcast app and the itunes store everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop feedback on the favorite or any of the movies we talked about today can be left in the comment section of the site you can email ryan at matinee.ca twitter or i am matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee any final thoughts buddy happy christmas yeah uh happy uh, christmas happy new year happy festivus Uh, whatever you celebrate or don't celebrate be safe be happy um be well um this year is almost over and hopefully 2019 brings us some better things god knows it can't get much worse um but um yeah please uh enjoy the season um and all the best for 2019 for now for james i'm ryan we'll see you at the matinee